All right, all right, ladies. We are in season three, and we have our first guest of the season. Uh, so we are in episode two. This is Dr. K signing in from North Kakalaki. Hey, hey, y'all. It's Jasmine from St. Louis. Hey, y'all. It's Dr. V from Kansas. And Ann from Illinois. Now yes. with an S. Well, we have a great show today. So first of all, our topic today, uh, we're talking about Black women, of course, in higher education. And our focus is on the influences on our career advancement. And we have a special guest today, as we always do. And I'm gonna let her do her thing, but shout out to Erin Wilson. Welcome to the podcast. I could not be more excited to be with some amazing, amazing folks. Thanks for having me today. I'm Erin Wilson, and I currently am the head of a community engagement department at a university in Texas. And I'm a member of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated. You know, you got to do that. It's got to it's gotta be right, crisp. So I'm a member of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority and have a background in political science as well as working on my doctorate, get that DR in front of my name. Right now, I'm a couple months um, from defending if, if my if my dissertation chair, you know, we so agree. No, I'm just kidding. Shoot, we're ready. So I'm ready to walk across that stage. But more than that, I'm excited to be here with y'all today. Awesome. awesome. It's always great for me, as well as I know my guests to hear when Black women are pursuing doctorate degrees, regardless of the journey. And sometimes we want to quit. Woo. Today. Today. <laughs> At least seven Someday. times. At least seven times is what they tell you. Yes. <laughs> but, but there's victory on the other side, though. Come on! Hey, Gloria! I feel like we need some shout music. Come on! We're going to get right into the conversation, but not sure if you've listened to uh, episode one yet. If not, this is time to go listen to it after, you know, we finish talking. If you just want to plug that in. But our theme this season is the unmasking. And we're going to focus, have a framework around unmasking ourselves as Black women. But to get this conversation started... What what was your career trajectory? What is your career trajectory as it relates to how you got to where you are now and, you know, where you're looking to go? Absolutely. Uh, mine has been a little all over the pl- all over the place. So I one of the stories I tell my students all the time in their search for figuring out who they are and where they are. So I grew up my entire life with my parents telling me you are going to law school. And so I had not even thought about it. Right. Like, I mean, I was going to law school. That's what mom and dad told me that I was going to be doing. And in undergrad, I did all the things, right? Student body president in a sorority, all the things, had all these jobs, if that makes sense. And there was just one moment in my senior year where I took a second to think and said, do I want to go to law school or have uh, my parents told me I was going to law school? And that really, that really changed the entire trajectory of, of my life, right? That question, figuring out what I wanted to do which I feel like there's a word in there, right? It is. Um, besides what I had been told was the proper thing to do. So now don't get me wrong. I'm still scared of Earl. <laughs> That's <laughs> my dad. And so I told him that I was going to get an MBA before I went to law school. I said, that'll make me, you know, I'll be out here making cash money there. Like, don't worry. I'm doing this strategically. So that's the only reason he didn't kill me. When I got there, I had a professor in community engagement. Here I was struggling in statistics and said, I need to take something easy. And this nonprofit class came up and Bob Long, he used to work at the Kellogg Foundation. He was a visiting professor at the time at my, at my graduate school. And mm-hmm. he changed my life. He told me that there were nonprofits that needed people that were talented like me in order to be able to tell their story. And from that moment further, that's what I graduated in with an emphasis in nonprofit development and went on to work for some nonprofits for a children's hospital in Arkansas, shout out to ACH. And yeah, so I got here literally because 
while I worked in, and that's kind of a long story, right? But as I worked at a food bank and worked in hunger relief, we started to focus on college hunger, right? And so I started to do work in Arkansas surrounding getting food pantries to schools in Arkansas. And when I did that, I missed universities. I missed pouring into college students. And it came back to me that through my experience in student affairs, which I didn't know was a thing then, right. I always wanted to be a university president. And so I stopped and said, hey, I got to figure out how to get back into university life. And here I am um, at, at a great space. Wow. I think it's amazing that I can share some of the things that you have said in your story in regards to, first of all, I didn't know student affairs was a thing. I didn't know. And I was an RA and I was all, you know, also um, 40. So didn't know. But it's something that you said that stuck out to me is your parents said, this is what you're going to do. And that's the path you started to follow. Mm -hmm. Something happened and whether someone told you or came to you that, Hey, what is it that I want to do? I think that speaks volumes. And like you said, there's a word in that. It really is. I mean, and fortunately, I was fortunate to be able to have that awakening early and it was scary. It was really, really scary to tell my, my father, who's not from this country, who came here and worked to make sure that I was able to go to college. I'm not first gen, um, but he came to America and went to college and did that through, through some, he has an interesting story too. And then my mom too, who grew up really, really poor in the South. And so to tell two people who have worked their butt off, right, to give their two daughters every advantage in life to go to private schools, to do all these things that I was not doing the one thing they asked me to do, which was go to law school and make money so I could take care of myself was so hard. And it was scary. It was incredibly scary at moments. The only time it started to feel right was the first time my father came to tour the campus I am now. And so I'm at a really, a really good university that has a lot of stuff. Let's say that and they have a beautiful campus and he stepped foot on campus. And that was the first time I heard someone who affirms me all the time in so many different areas that he was impressed right Uh, and that and and that chills right like absolute chills and that is I don't know that that was one of the most amazing things but it is scary too that we don't often figure out how to live for ourselves that I feel like Mm. that is a culture is not something we teach right like to figure out what you want to do right and that kind of leads me to so it sounds like you were able to choose something that really aligned with your purpose and your passion but there was this kind of fear this kind of launching out into the deep kind of you know and so what was it that made you feel like it's now or never, I got to do it. And I feel like if I don't, I'm not being true to myself. Like, what was that? Like, what was that internal thing? Because I think, you know, it kind of connects to, you know, some people are like, well, you know, the money, I I may need to stay where I'm staying, or, you know, I got all these other responsibilities. You chose purpose and passion Mm -hmm. over any of that. So like, what was that that made you say, no, this has got to (sighs) happen? I'm a woman of faith, right? And so for me, there, there's there's a piece of that. Like, I feel like I felt God whispering to me, hey, <laughs> hey, Aaron. I mean, I don't know if he sounds like that to other people, but I, I could physically hear him as a senior getting ready to graduate because this was, this was, this was late in the game. This was after January. At this point, I had already been admitted to to law schools. Like I was not worrying about anything. I was just winding down senior year, having a good time finally, right? But something while I was sitting in silence came and said, hey, do you want to be a lawyer? Yes, you'll have money, but will you be happy? And that to me was something that was so foreign because growing up, especially in my just my my background. So my parents, I'm originally from Memphis, Tennessee, and I'm seven-day Adventist by faith. 
And so that's a small pocket of people, right? So you have a built community around people who know each other. And I would consider my parents some, 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 some more well-known folks, right? In our tiny community. And so we have just been taught, which is what my, you know, all my parents knew to do everything right. Right. Like, don't embarrass me when I'm here. This is what I expect from you. This is and that's some of the the stuff we'll talk about a little later, too. But that was it was just so scary. But I knew I had to jump. So that was the first time. And the second time was I was climbing the ladder quickly at a nonprofit and I (laughs) had a conversation with the guy I was dating at that point. And now he's my husband and said, I am nervous that if I don't stop this right now, I will never be what I want to be. And it's a university president. I said, I'm gonna have to start over and that is scary, but I'm gonna do it. And he looked at me and said, I believe in you. And now that I'm married to him and I, <laughs> that's the kind of backing you need, right? It was crazy. I was making good money. I was doing just fine. We were, you know, but you can't, man, the permission, to let yourself do something that makes you feel full is something wow. I wish more people did. Wow. Man. We don't get that. Yeah. Black women, we don't get that. We have to take it. And it is hard. And people judge you for it when you grab that. But we have to. This whole idea of permission and we have to grab it because no one is going to give it to us. And, and even thinking about just black women come together talking about this you know we don't even have that conversation enough to know that i need to go take it from you. so wow thank you for that thank you right like that's that's on a whole nother level of deep though yeah that's that's like a mind thing right because like how do you know that you can like how do you know that you're there and if we're only ever taught that no you you work to live or do you live to work you know what i'm saying like that whole do you live to work to live or are you living to work like what is that about you don't yeah. know that you really can launch out into the deep you know mm-hmm. and and really choose yourself choose your passion and not about what someone else wants for you and the life mm-hmm. that they're saying that they want for you in that box right yeah. But you yeah. also said something about finding people who really support your vision because yes. you can want to do this, but surround yourself with people who are not mm-hmm. going to support your vision that could kill it before it's even born. Ooh, absolutely. Hiya. Come on now. Absolutely. I mean, did people think I was crazy? Because this, this wasn't like a regular move. It wasn't like where I was. Right. I didn't say that piece. But I moved in order to get back into higher ed. I moved across country. That's how I ended up in Texas. So I was in Little Rock, Arkansas. And I decided to move six hours from where I was. And well, actually a little further than that and about six hours from the guy I had been dating for a year and a half, right? Who had told me, you know, side note, on our like maybe third or fourth date that I, he was going to marry me. I laughed. I thought that boy, man was crazy. But anyway, that's a whole nother story. But yeah, I had to just trust it for me and God and for other people, it may be something different, but I had to trust completely that what he wanted me to do in my life, he would, he would figure out how it would work and send protection along the way. And that stepping out was scary. It was so scary to move away from, I was like, I finally got this dude that, you know what I'm saying? Like this might be in, I'm doing well in my career. I had had two promotions by then, you know, it, it was so scary. And, but I'm so glad I did it because it was walking in my purpose, right? Like when I have those conversations with students, Lots of the other things in higher ed, and I know y'all have talked about that. I've heard in multiple podcasts, right? A lot of the other things around you, the chaos is what I call it, makes you go like, I'm not going to come back to this office <laughs> day after day. And then you have one conversation with a student. Like mm-hmm. sitting in my inbox right now as a student that said, you are a light in my life. Today, I was so tired from something we did. And then boom, that happens and you go, okay. I'm gonna come back on Monday, right? right. So, man, at every move, I can honestly say 
that God has sent me signs. He sent me wonders and he is absolutely taking care of me at every step. I love it. Yeah. Well, I guess I don't need to go to church. Um, <laughs> the church of the doors are open. The doors, just they say the doors of the church is open. Like, don't you know? I kind of have a follow-up though. I got a question. Yeah. So what was, how did you go about breaking that news to your parents? Because I think that that is a chat. Student affairs is yeah. not law. Yeah. And wanting to work, you know, and, and when you are talking about, I, I can bet, I remember clearly when I told my mother that I was switching from engineering to hospitality management, she literally asked me if I was going to be a waitress with my wow. four year expensive tail degree. And so like just having that conversation, especially with parents who had not gone to college, who didn't really understand or maybe didn't understand or they just had this perception. Like, what was that like? Oh, that's a fantastic question. So I, I have to, I have to acknowledge my privilege. So the, the first privilege there is that both of my parents went to college. So they had an understanding of kind of what it looks like to explore. But of course, for them, it was about financial, right? And I feel like that is generational. I feel like so I'm a millennial and I feel like my parents, their sole purpose for working was to find a job you could stay at a long time and that you could support a family, right? Yeah. But then they raised a bunch of millennials going, the world is yours. You can do anything you want to do. You're amazing. Yes, wear that princess dress because you are my princess. You right. saying? But then you become an adult and they go like, whoa, whoa, whoa. World's not yours. You need to make some money. I'm not going to keep paying for your apartment. That was, a, it was a scary conversation, mostly because my entire life, my parents didn't really have to like discipline me that much. It was their disappointment. That was the hardest thing in the world for me. Just my mom going like, you really disappointed me today. It was to me worse than any spanking that I could have ever gotten. And so for me, I just, I took it with my, my, I, I just, I showed them my heart. I really think that's what it was, but I was also okay. And in the situation, if they didn't support it, and I gotta be honest, they didn't, they loved me. They weren't angry with me, but it was kind of like, okay, sure. Do that. And law school, I'll be waiting for you when you decide not to be poor anymore. Wow. And so for me, that was my greatest motivation though, to show, hey, I can be successful too in something that I feel be, I've been called to do. And my parents have, my parents are very strong in their faith. And so, like I said, I think when my dad had a moment of going like, yo, you are, this is what you're supposed to be doing. That light bulb went off and they've always been incredibly supportive because they want the best for me. So, but it was a hard conversation to go, I'm going to be poor for a minute. That's I'm going to be real poor for a minute. Like if I need help on this car note, y'all got me. <laughs> situation. But no, but I, I've always been provided for. There's always been provisions. So. So Erin, so I've, I've heard you, you know, you mentioned you were involved a lot in school and you know you were a part of student affairs before you even knew who or what student affairs was absolutely and you also mentioned you know your want your desire to become a college president and that's going to be so dope when you become that and when dr k become that because i'm gonna be like i sat here right here on this season <laughs> episode two with these college presidents <laughs> but i guess in your journey or throughout your journey, what roles did you have or have you served or what organizations do you feel like contributes or will contribute to your leadership style, especially in you wanting to advance to such a high level? Yeah, absolutely. So for me, it was Student Government Association. That gave me the opportunity to, to get to know the chancellor at my university at the time on a, on a really first name basis. I still think about him all the time and laugh. We're, I'm friends with his wife on Facebook. 
And so I keep up with them, but really seeing him have a heart for students, right? Mm -hmm. I had no idea how privileged I was to be able to just walk up in the office and be like, what up, champ? You know, and he would make (laughs) time to say hi to me. And that was just normal, right? That was like normal behavior. Matter Mm -hmm. of fact, my LSAT book to study for, no, sorry, my GMAT book to study for the GMAT so that I could go to the graduate school I went to after January, I said, I'm gonna just take the GMAT real quick. That's how it was. It really was like, oh, there's GMAT coming up in two weeks. I'm gonna take that real quick. And somebody in the student affairs office was like, we got a GMAT book. Why don't you take it? And I had no idea until I thought back, if that makes sense, about the people who had made a difference. Even getting to know our board of trustee members because I was student body president, right? Like to have those opportunities to get to know them. That really, for me, has such a large impression. I'm trying not to say his name, but that chancellor, he, no matter what, took moments out for students and never forgot that that's why he was there, that those are the folks that he needs to impress the most. And so I always promised myself that that was, that's the kind of chancellor I want to be. I've seen multiple types and the chancellor I want to be is never too busy for a student to say hi for a student to be able to walk up to me on the on the quad and be like hey and I get to say that (laughs) Um, I hope I'll have a pimped out I'm gone. That is my intention. If I ever lose the ability to be able to find time in my schedule to meet with students then it that's not where I want to be anymore. And I know that's hard. I know I'll have to focus on donor relations. I've done that kind of stuff before. I know I'll have to make sure our board is happy. I know we have to do things for the endowment. I know we have to make sure administration stuff is is happening. But my favorite chancellors have been people that got to know students on a first name basis. I want to know everybody, but it's my job to do that for other students the way he did that for me. And so that was my largest influence. So I'm going to take a privilege. So I, I know you're working on a dissertation. Woo! Yes, Lord. And your your topic is, is kind of associated with, you know, kind of what we're talking about now. Yeah. So kind of piggybacking off of Jasmine's question in terms of organizations and roles that are contributing to your leadership style and your career advancement. <clears throat> you so eloquently noted it in the beginning of this episode that you remember. Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated. And so knowing that the VP of the United States of America is a member of your organization and identified Black woman, how does that look for you? Knowing now um, that you verbally said to the world, (laughs) you know, you're going to be a college president and knowing that you have that identity in addition to a Black woman that is part of student affairs, Greek life is part of student affairs, how's that contributing to your career advancement? I mean, man, first of all, like, can we just take a moment to go like, woo child, like you go sis, right? I mean, the thing is that while it is incredibly exciting to have my soror in the White House, She's just not, she's not just mine. I think she belongs to all of us, right? That was the one moment where everybody was like, all right, I guess I'll let y'all slide with these pearls. <laughs> these pearls on today, <laughs> on this one day. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Y'all could have just wore chucks, but whatever. But yes, I, it's a constant reminder and such a great reminder that I can do anything I want to do, right? Like that for real, finally, that is one of those moments. But She's not the only one, right? I mean, that is one of the privileges to me or the influences, as I'm talking about in my um, dissertation study, really, and it's not just me. The, the, the women that I talked to, some of the themes that really emerged was that increased accountability, right? And that's the, that's the phrase that I've given it. So because we are in organizations, we're groomed to understand that we don't represent just us. We represent a group of people and we're in, in, there's an ambassadorship that belongs to us in every place we go, right? And so because of that, we want to be our best. Now, don't get me wrong. Everybody doesn't do that. Some people were there for just the parties. But for the most part, (laughs) some of the greatest women I have seen and, and known and represented for me excellence and 
uh, upward mobility and, and where I wanted to be in my career were in organizations, Black Greek letter organizations. And so for me, it's just put that on a public stage, something that we've known forever, something that we've seen forever, is that, yo, these women are winning and I wanna be a part of that. I am a part of that. And it's my job to do that for other people coming up to go, I can be wearing your name. Wow. Yes, uh, come on, <laughs> you know? So we 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 gonna we looking forward to calling you Dr. Wilson in a couple of months. You, I'm about to get uh what what I I've been seeing these folks getting uh, degrees on uh pillows and blankets out here in these streets. I, I may have to wrap myself up in it once it. It's your degree I, keep you warm. Listen, <laughs> I haven't been doing maternity shoots. Listen, <laughs> too with it now. Listen, I got a cup yes. that says Dr. V, and I got the date that it happened. Get that merch. Get that merch, Dr. V. Listen, listen. I feel you though. I Because you work so hard for it, right? Listen, it's not, okay, this is what I tell people, because people will ask all the time, especially in student affairs. People go, hey, tell me about your experience getting a doctor, right? That's the first thing usually when people find it out. How was it? I'm thinking about it. What do you say? And so a lot of people told me, oh, it is super hard. Right. But they didn't expound upon what that means. Now that I've done the journey, I got to be honest, hard is not what I would call it. Right. Like I'm intelligent and I know lots of intelligent people. Dr. V, I know you are right. I know all the women on this panel are. So the, the schoolwork was not the hard part. Right. That was easy. Writing for us is not hard. We did it to get through multiple degrees. What is challenging is the discipline that you have to have to not be in the, is it still 80% people who are ABD? Right. I don't know. I would have to look that up. Look that up yourself. But whatever the case is, it is discipline that it takes and sacrifice. And everybody doesn't, everybody don't have that. And that's, that's why we are where we are. That's why some people want it to be easier that's why all these different things, I won't go down that. That's a whole nother uh, episode too. But right there. <laughs> um, so I tell students all the time, no, it is not hard. It requires you to be disciplined. And that is something that is tough. And it requires you to keep moving when you don't want to. But Ooh. all we can do, we write papers all the time. You know what I'm saying? Like that's, it's the biggest paper you'll probably ever write, right? Mm-hmm. But in chunks, We've done it over and over, but it's yeah. it's your ability to keep moving when your dissertation chair knocks you down and not be prideful, right? Oh. It, it, it takes being able to have conversations with the people you love to go like, I need you to support me in this right now. So I can't, I can't kick it with you the same way that I did. And right. you lose people in that and you have to be okay with that too. Right. Preach um, it's so many other things. So I, I well, it's not, it's not hard. Like we can't use that word. It's multi-dimensional. You're gonna, if you're gonna have to pull some things from yourself that are incredibly important. But if you want it, you'll get it. Well, and I think it's also perseverance, right? I mean, I think the, the P and PhD really is perseverance. More it than really PhD is because I think what people don't also talk about is the thing. Life is gonna happen. Families, mm-hmm. family members are going get old, people may pass away. There's things that may happen. And it's the conversation of the perseverance, like what, and it may be that you have a trash box chair. Yep. But at the end of the, listen, I'm gonna name it. But at the (laughs) end of the day, you know, sometimes you got to persevere in spite of. And you said something too, that kind of leads me to another question, but really kind of connecting to this career trajectory, career movement, when you're, when you're thinking about making a choice to say, listen, I'm going to make this change. How important is it to assess the environment that you are going to be potentially going into? I mean, and sometimes you don't always know. I mean, you may have friends there, but sometimes you don't. So how important is, is it to understand and rather assess the environment and how can you do that to kind of know what, what you possibly know, what you are going to face before you get there. 
Sure. Sometimes I wish, you know, I had a magic eight ball and I could just like look, look into it and go like, what, what the end going to be like, right? But that is not, that's not how it works. No, I have to be 100% honest that I have been gifted from the Lord with the ability to be able to navigate spaces that other people will not feel comfortable in. So for me, that often looks like, hey, what am I here to get for myself, right? I knew when I moved to nonprofit that I needed experience in donor relations. And so for me, I was able to endure what I needed to endure because I knew what I was there for, right? And when I say, okay, I have enough of that and I need to make some moves in order to get back into higher ed, while for me, I said, I've got experience in housing. So that's going to be my way back in the door. Right. And so I said, okay, because Lord knows I still have phantom, phantom phone rings from that on call out there in housing. I want to tell you that there is life after it, but you will always hear that phone ringing, baby, three years after that. But I knew as much as I was like, oh, this is not what I want to be doing. I have constantly kept my eyes on the prize of where I'm going. And that for me has helped me navigate so many different spaces. And the analysis for me is not the space a whole lot. It's what am I getting in order to get to where I'm trying to go, right? And so that, I must admit, that's what my career has been. What are the pieces I need in order to have my best shot at being able to be a university president and go in from there. So, so let me just connect some dots. Yeah. That what you talked about in terms of earning a PhD is not far off from environment, right? And and yeah. and career trajectory. I mean, if you think about it, you're gonna have to endure. You're yeah. gonna have some supervisors that are trash supervisors, and you're doing this so that you're able to get and and be in these different environments. And but. I think one of the challenges, so I'm a former career counselor, I think one of the challenges is that people, especially the, the generations, millennials, and I will say I'm a millennial and beyond, they don't feel like we have, you know, it's a lot of us that feel like, well, I don't got to deal with that. I, I want to go from here, from yep. hither to thither, yep. right? And I don't want to have to deal with any of it. And mm -hmm. also, I'm amazing with this degree. I don't mm -hmm. need no experience. So what would you say, right? Because as you talk about environment, it makes me think like, yeah, but people really do believe it. Like you talk about needing the experience. Mm -hmm. And from their vantage point, who cares? I should be able to do what I want to do mm -hmm. with the experience or lack thereof that I have. Yeah. First, I would tell them, humble yourself. <laughs> Chill out, first of all. Get, get your life together before somebody snatched the magic. Now, this is, this is the thing. I remember being that ridiculous coming out of graduate school. I was. There was a point in my life where I was ridiculous. Let me tell you, my first job out of graduate school was at a children's hospital, and it was my job um, to do family services in the emergency room. So what that looked like was dealing with folks that, of course, had like traumas, if that makes sense, if their patients were coming in, dealing with people in the waiting room who were mad about the fact that they came with a sniffly nose and had to sit in the ER for a long time, because uh, that's how ERs work. It's by acuities. But I didn't mind any of that. Let me tell you the piece that I minded. I could not stand that they were asking me with my master's degree to fill up a coffee pot. And oh, yes. I didn't go get this master's degree to get these folk coffee, right? I had a conversation with someone that said, Erin, I need you to know that that is important to the people you're serving, right? Like that you have to be willing to do what it takes to take care of the people around you. And that to me was a leadership lesson, right? That it wow. wasn't something that I wanted to do. I don't even drink coffee. I hate the smell of coffee, actually. But when parents would come up to me and go, hey, I had no, the cafeteria is closed and I had no idea where I was going to get something to be able to stay up with my child who's having an issue. This made a difference to me. And when I saw that, it made me go like, if that is all I have to do to make a difference to somebody, then what does it matter 
What, what does it matter? And that to me changed everything. I think when that light bulb turned off, that there is nothing that to me a good leader won't do. That's to me what the point is. I want to be a servant leader. And so if it means stay late, I need to be in the trenches with my people. If it means taking the day before Thanksgiving, that's what I'm going to do and let my folks rest. But that was one of the life lessons that taught me that, right? That being a leader means being able to do what takes care of other people. And beyond that, being a servant is putting other people's needs in front of my own. And I'm thankful for that opportunity, but it is really the one that humbled me. And also, not only just putting other people's needs in front of your own as a leader, but also following the balance to dismiss the needs of yourself. For sure. Especially as a a Black woman. For sure. Yeah. 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 um, Go ahead. It also makes sense to say, it's 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 interesting too because I think we also can't we we can't we can't um, forget that there's this racialized maybe gendered component of folks asking and demanding absolutely you know, for us to do a certain level of thing. I mean, I think yeah. the question is, were they asking you know the white person to do that? Yeah. Is it is it just me? You know, so I think to your point, you know, of always kind of assessing that. But I think for you, it's from what I'm also hearing is that there was always this understanding that what I'm doing is going to set me up for here. So you were always kind of thinking of this future outlook to understand that this is going to help me from my next step. So it sounds like that's also really important when you're thinking about career trajectory to always have a plan. A hundred percent. And not just a plan to see yourself. I'm incredibly strategic, but every day, when even when I'm walking into my, my nice office now, I see myself sitting in a chair in somebody's chancellor's office. And when I have to do stuff that's tough, I say, Aaron, this is what it, you know, hey, I'm not here. I'm, I'm there, if that makes sense. And so many people are thinking about here, which is important. I do think you have to be present, but I think you have to be able to do both. I really do think long-term, what do I need in order to be where I'm trying to be? But how can I be present in this and do my best now? Um, that's hard. It's multifaceted and it, it's something tough. So, so let, me, let me go back to something you, you kind of spoke on. You know, you know, your parents want you to be a lawyer and you chose to go the pole route and become going. <laughs> no, hey, listen, there is the money. Not the There's no R. The pole. There, there is money in higher ed. Yes. You just got to find it and trust God. OK, but when thinking about moving up in your career, advancing, right, what's, what motivates you to say, okay, this is a great title and a great position. I'm going to take it, but the money ain't right. Versus, oh my gosh, this is great money and I know I can do it. I don't really like the title, but I know I can do it and the money is great. So how does that motivation occur for you? What does that look like? Ooh, that's a tightrope right there. You oh, try no, uh, rapture. No, uh, uh, that one is tough. I think it comes down to assessment. I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. Right now, the position that I'm in was that question for myself, right? So I left a space where I was interim director and interim for my own decision because I kept saying, no, this is not where if I take this director role here, then I'm going to be stuck in this specific type of, you know what I'm saying, like place in the university and that's not where I want to be. And so this role for me was that, but it was an opportunity, honestly, not really that much more money, but it was an opportunity to be at a D1 school. It was an opportunity to be at a larger school. It was an opportunity to have the ability to network with people that would be able to get me to the next space. And so that was what I, I, I again, put myself in almost everything I do is a puzzle piece for the puzzle that is where I'm trying to go. Whether it's with my career, my personal life, whatever the case is, like to me, there's there's multiple puzzles, but I really had to go, hey, how will this get me to the space that I'm trying to go? And I'm glad I made that decision. Again, I, I have met some amazing folks 
and I'm in a good spot to have learned a lot of different things. This was a jump for me, but it also, again, all those puzzle pieces I had, right? So working in healthcare, working in nonprofit, going back to higher education gave me all the puzzle pieces I needed to work in community engagement. If I had started straight in housing, it's straight in like coming out of housing and going there. I don't think I would have had a shot at this job. I needed the other things in order to be able to do this. And that's another piece, right? Like, yes. Do I think strategically? Absolutely. But I got to be honest in that strategy. The Lord gives me things that sometimes I don't even understand where they come from. But I think it's incredibly important for people to be strategic and I think Anne brought up a great point, too, really talking about how folks are like, ah, I don't want to do this, right? <laughs> I don't know. We have to be okay sometimes in the uncomfortable. I think there's a perfect line, but I think that the growth comes in uncomfortable. Don't you need clothes every time you get taller, right? Or if you get bigger, are the clothes uncomfortable? <laughs> so in, in that, I think it's the line we have to walk. Now, don't get me wrong. Don't let people be out here abusing you and you in shambles and need a mental break. Then take one, you know what I'm saying? But for the most part, all the places that you really want to go and that are worth it are going to cause a little bit of moments of uncomfortable, a little bit of that imposter syndrome, right? A little bit of, should I be here? But I remind myself every day, I'm where I'm supposed to be because, you know, of who I belong to. So hmm. I didn't know you was gonna come on here and start preaching. Hey, I would have put on my I would have put on my good hoodie for that. Oily, you just gotta be oily. You know what I'm saying? You know what? I just want to say, my friends, we, we say that, and I was like, you better come on here and say the say the oily. You better be oily. Like, listen, that that's not what I mean. I, you know, I came here to talk about Greek life and how it's influenced career trajectory of, of African-American black women. You know what I'm saying? I came here, but honestly, like all the things I have done really have like, it blows my mind quite often. I didn't come to preach, but if somebody needs to hear that, like there were moments where I go like, what in the world am I doing in this ER? What in the world am I doing in backwoods, Arkansas, telling people about hunger insecurity or helping them? What in the world am I doing back in housing, Lord Jesus? Y'all know there's nothing wrong in housing. Y'all are doing the Lord's work. It's just <laughs> not for me no more. You see what I'm saying? But um, in all of those moments, I had to remember that he has an ultimate plan for me. And I see that day after day after day after day with even small, small things that remind me, hey, like I got this. If you're in my perfect wheel, because that's another thing, you know, there's permissive and there's perfect. But whatever the case is, if you're in that, then then it's it, it's the pieces are going to fall together. They're not always how we like to see them. Sometimes we got to work a little harder for the tools. Sometimes he don't hand us stuff, but he gives us the tools to do it. And my life is a testament to that. So, mm. wow. so how do you know when it's time to move or time to shift? And originally this question was supposed to come, you know, in, in terms of your career. Yep. But since we're talking about all things, come on. No, when it's time to shift your atmosphere. Churches. I love it. So, for me, there's a couple things. That that's a really, really good question. So let's talk about career. For me, when I'm in a role that I'm no longer challenged, and that's incredibly important to me. If I mm. figured it almost all out, I have a rule. So I first of all, I like to be innovative. That's the thing. Like if you let me sit all day and come up with ideas, mm. that to me is magic, right? But I've learned that I have to use my green, Dr. K knows what I'm talking about, in order to create processes. Yes. Mm. Uh, shout out shout out to that like core strengths, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but I, I, I have to be able to create processes and not just processes for myself, processes for other people to be able to do it as well as I have. Now, don't get me wrong. There was a time in my life where I was like, I don't want anybody to know how I do stuff because I'm magical. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's right. why y'all That's why y'all want me here because I'm doing all these things. 
But I have learned that, again, in leadership, that you have to bring folks. Dr. K actually said this to me, and I've been saying it a, a little bit now lately, is it's no fun to eat by yourself. Right. And so to me, the the ultimate level of me being good at what I do is being able to teach somebody else how to do it. Right. Mm -hmm. So when there is nothing else for me to teach, when I get bored, it's time for me to start looking for other opportunities. Now, don't get me wrong. In every space, that doesn't mean it's time to be like, bye, y'all, to throw your bang and walk out the door. That's not what I um, For example, in my position right now, this is going on my third year. And I feel like because I came from a director position and am now in an associate director position, but like I said, at a bigger school in a different kind of setup, I do feel that I kind of can do my job a little bit in autopilot, Right. But there's not space for me to roof really right now in the, the place that I'm in. So for me, it looked like, hey, focus on that doctorate, right? For me, it was like, use the time that you're not worried about what else you have to do to get to know other folks. Join staff assembly. Get on some of those committees. Figure out in the community what are things that I can join that my university will pay for, right? Mm -hmm. so get some more certifications. Do those things so that when, look, again, Dr. K says, you, you got to stay ready so you don't have to get ready, right? Come on. Come so that is, it is time for me to go. All those things that instead of going like, huh, I want to be a director right now and they playing games with my cash money. Instead of focusing on that, and there's been those moments, instead of focusing on that, I have 100% thought again about what will I need to be in that chair, right? Mm -hmm. And how can I poke my head from out of the computer to see what are, the, what are other things that may be available for me to grow, right? And so that's, that's to me what you always should be doing. If it's time for you to go, I feel like you'll feel that hand. I always do like being pushed, not in, not in a bad way, but I feel like the opportunity always presents itself for something much better, the right thing that I'm looking for. But two, when you have to be still, when he's asking you to be still, what are the ways that even in your stillness, you can grab a couple of the other things he's letting you get from that space? Mm. Mm. How much of that is requiring, is, is requiring a deep listening, right? Ooh. Like connection and a, re and like, you know, and, and whether someone identifies as religious, spiritual or not at all, there's there there seems to be there seems to need to be this connection of it's not just about the cash money. It's not just whatever. But what's happening to, you know, not to quote Cat Williams, but let's cat quote Cat Williams being in tune with our five star player, you know, like being real clear what you know, it's funny. I use that reference to my students. They like. Did you just quote Cat Williams in the middle of class? I sure did. Thanks so much. <laughs> but being real clear with your inner person. Yeah. And it's like, is this in alignment? You know, yeah. yes, the money is great. Yes, it's whatever. But mm. am I dying a slow and painful death every time I'm showing up? Am is my is my chest beating super fast every time I walk into the room? You know, do I, you know, get a cold sweat every time, yes. you know? I see an email from this person or I see, you know, a phone call. It's like yet again, like it's about paying attention, yes. you know, to yourself. But also if you are a spiritual person, mm -hmm. connecting to that on a deeper level as well. And, and holding yourself to do that, right? Yeah. Like finding the time to do that. Every morning I try to find some time to sit honestly in the dark and quiet to be able to hear what is even being said to me, right? Now, don't get me wrong. If 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 Great Riches is my portion, have y'all seen that show? It's called Bling Dynasty on Netflix. It's on my list. Listen, if, if five pounds, six ounce baby Jesus decides that I need to be that filthy rich, I'm going to do it. I, I don't want that to not be a part of his will for my life. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I understand that Money is not everything. Like you have to have peace of mind. You have to have fulfillment. You, you need to be in your purpose. And those are the things that I truly feel like when I'm laid in my super cute casket with my red lipstick on, because my husband know what's up, that I want to have gone knowing 
that I made a difference. I'm not going to think about the money. I feel like when people think about the legacy that they left, when people are, are, are about to leave, it's never like, whoa, what did I do with that $10,000 that's in my mattress? Oh, Lord, put $10,000 in my mattress. But anyway, it is what, who, who are the people I spent my time with? Did I waste it and not spend enough time with them? What are the things that I did so that when I leave, people remember who I am and I'm not just somebody that they just write on my Facebook thing going like, Erin was nice. I'm glad she talked to me. I want to leave a legacy and one of joy, one of like, yo, that girl lived the best she could and she did everything that she could for people. And that is way more important to me than, than what's in my, in, in my, in my debit card. You know what I'm saying? Now, don't get me wrong. I, I want it to be full, and open, but I also want those other experiences. Yeah. Yeah. So we got to wrap up. Yeah. This has been a great conversation. We got we got a few questions that we're asking our guests this season. So one mentioned earlier that the theme of this season is about unmasking as Black women. So when we talk about masking, the mask that we, not the physical mask, but the mask that we have put up, going back to when you were talking about permission and taking it and et cetera. So when you talk about your own life, and we want it to be as transparent as you deem necessary, when did you arrive at the point that you were wearing a mask, Erin? Ooh. You said, when did I arrive at the point that I was wearing a mask? Yeah. And what was that mask? My goodness. Ooh, that, oh, y'all tried to catch, y'all tried to catch me sleeping right there. I gotta be honest. I feel like I have not, in, in true transparency, mm-hmm. I have not completely gotten to the space where my mask is all the way off. I I think that I show up as authentically as possible for my space. Mm -hmm. And that's often enough that I am who I need to be, but I also know how to get it together in certain spaces, if that makes sense. I'm still looking for that. I'm still looking for in multiple facets of of my life. One of of the greatest gifts, and and I don't want to say curses, but difficult things that the Lord has given me is the gift of people feeling close to me without knowing anything about me. Mm-hmm. There's something that radiates from me that makes people feel like they've known me for years. And that's not like shouting myself up or doing anything. It has been such a gift to have because it's let me navigate spaces that other people won't. But if you were to stop and ask people, true questions about what I like, what I do in my off time, all these different pieces, they would not know. Because most people don't take an opportunity to go any further than the warm feeling they get when I'm laughing and smiling with them. So the people who are in my life who have done that are incredibly important to me because most people don't, don't do that. So I say that to say that my hope as I grow in, in in age and in wisdom and in knowledge, that at some point I will be able to get to the point where I'm 100% barefaced and just completely who I am. But right now I have to be honest, well, I, I wear a little bit of makeup still with people. And I think that's okay. I, I have a long way to go. The only person that I probably don't, the only people I don't wear makeup or a mask with is is my immediate family and my husband so I I hope that I will continue to get to that space with a lot of people but when I have let my guard down there has been so many times that people have taken that as permission to go see I told you she's not perfect See, I told you she's not this or, you know, and so I have been taught from a very, very early age to never let people see you sweat and to never give people that power. But that has cost me a lot of real, true friendships because that is tough to navigate and we're unprogrammed. I'm working on unprogramming myself. Yeah. And, you know, and I'm in the same boat, you know. Last season, the theme was centered around vulnerability, right? And that's a conversation, a concept that as Black women, we don't talk about enough to even define what it is, right? And so this season, moving into the mask, first of all, being to identify that I'm wearing a mask, I can name what that mask is, and I can probably name 
the reason behind me wearing the mask. Yeah. Acknowledging that what you said, even in wearing that mask, it's cost me some things. Mm-hmm. And so at what point do I say, hmm, I don't want it to cost me anymore. So I'm willing to take it off. And so you can see me, no makeup, everything. It's just who I am and walk authentically in who I am, mm-hmm. whose I am for those that are spiritually minded and religious minded. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because at the end of the day, as you said, when I lay six feet deep about the materialistic things, it's about was I living my purpose? Was yep. I true? Do I trust myself enough to take off my mask now? And so that's the space that I am in and working in. So thank you for your, your honesty and your transparency in that. Yeah. Yes. Come on. And you got... <laughs> no, I was going to say that was amazing. That, that, <laughs> yeah. You know, and they know what I'm about to say. They're going to say, well, I'm going to listen to this episode again. Come on. Yeah. And they know that my co-hosts know if I say that. <laughs> you did good. <laughs> she came with the hot question. So <laughs> if she says that, then hey, that, that, that's what I'm here for. I just appreciate you all having a conversation with me, allowing little old me to kind of chat with you all and be a part of just such an amazing movement that you all are doing. I've listened to the podcast before and have had several conversations with Dr. K. And so thanks for the opportunity to honestly be here and be transparent with y'all. We don't get those spaces often. We don't. Listen, the, the pleasure is is all ours, our future college president, you know? Come on. Yeah. I mean, what, what we're doing is setting ourselves up for a career and that, so that it is so as though it is so right <laughs> speak that onto my life that is so true you that's so funny you you have no idea how many people say the same thing that they're like i'm i'm coming no, no, no what i'm so. saying is don't hire them because i don't even know them okay? <laughs> <laughs> not even but you know what what we're speaking about is something that has been curated for generations in the white community yeah. and what we don't talk about is how you know, you see people and you like, how, and, and this is from student affairs all the way up through faculty and administration, how, yes. you know, it, it is somebody knows somebody that knows somebody, but we have to curate those same networks because we don't have the same. I, I mean, we, I shouldn't say we don't have, we haven't curated the same privilege. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it's about, it's a capital. It's, it's a conversation of cultural capital. Yep. Making sure that we identify and each one reach one, not forget where we are, not forget that there were people who helped us get to where we are, because we identify that there are people who would forget that and who have forgotten that. But it's about remembering that and yeah. bringing people along with you. And sure. aligning aligning the actions to those desires. That's it. Listen, That's you it. have spoke life on this podcast. I just need you to know, like you have encouraged me up in here come on now <laughs> like there's a call there's such an amazing call on your life that you didn't you don't even try and it radiates oh my goodness so, come on we gonna do this yep <laughs> come on listen i one of the preachers when we said we about to end and we want to start up here <laughs> i'm gonna be real quick i'm looking forward to the day i can walk hand in hand with you aaron as college presidents mm-hmm. and even though we'll be at different institutions we still ride for one another absolutely i'm absolutely. looking forward to that day y'all y'all have no idea so doc, listen doc, and i know we we wind it down y'all we playing the music the, the musician behind <laughs> us man because he's been playing the organ for a minute trying to wrap us up but I, that is what I experienced from Dr. First of all, Dr. K has never met me in real life. Like we have only met each other the same way we're seeing each other because coronavirus, right? But she has never met me, but has absolutely gone out of her way to make sure that something she sees in me, she curates it. And I want to do that for so many other people that don't have that opportunity and someone that just goes, yo, I believe in you. So whenever she asks me to do something, I try to show up in my, and, and give her my best because she has done the same thing for me. And 
that is that's what I hope. That's what I hope on honestly my my research brings to the forefront because it is happening. We're not we are not seeing it as visibly as we need to, but I think through now don't get me wrong, I, I don't think any dissertation is groundbreaking research, right? But my hope is that at some point someone will see it and go like, yo, that is what's happening sometimes in those black Greek letter sororities. We have our our differences and we all sometimes, you know, it goes a little crazy at times, lemon squeezes or whatever the case is. But at the end of the day, when folks are in it and you're their sister, I have seen that transcend so many different challenges that Black women have in the workplace and specifically in, in higher ed. And so if I can be a part of that, that means the world to me. And y'all have spoken to me too. Come on, president. See, when people say it, you got to do it, right? I got to show up because other folks, it's a lot of people that want to eat at my table and I want to be able to have enough to, to have a spread. So, yeah. Ain't no need in inviting people to your table if you ain't got enough food for them. Okay. We can stop inviting me to your house when you ain't got the space. Cool. But important to discern if those are the people that should be invited to your table because Come on, that's everybody who looks like you think you think you they think like you Ooh, come on going to be the people who you should invite what you say and you got to be ready that some of the people that you had at the table before may not get an invitation back come on some all right we got to wrap this up uh so, so some fun questions because we do have a a Spotify and we do have a Goodreads list. And so, what are some of the songs that you're listening to right now, motivating you, what have you? And then, what are some books that you're reading? Okay, let's see. Songs, listen. My boy JL, John Legend, just dropped a CD. I feel like maybe a little while a CD. Oh my God, that was so old. My God, that was the most millennial thing I have said all night. Okay, um, he just dropped an album. I think it's called. Uh, let's see. I think it's called Bigger Love. Yeah. And listen, that 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 joint. Oh, I'm from Memphis, so we say John a lot. That joint be on rotate for me when I tell you I be at home going like that. Like really just going in. He got everything. He got. Uh, the next wedding song everybody gonna have is that never break up. That's gonna be the jam. And let's see. Oh, he's got for the old the old school slow cooker. Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, woo! That all of it. So that for me has been on repeat. The other song when I'm just hitting a wall, anytime it comes on, I be going in. Today it came on this morning in the car. And it's called, I think it's called Graves into Gardens. And I don't know who sings it. Elevation. It's Elevation Worship. If you have not heard that, he turns, he turns seas into highways. He gives beauty for ashes. He turns graves into gardens. He turns bones into armies. My God, Mm. there's nothing better than you that song will send me into it don't matter if i'm driving whatever i mean um but those are the two songs that have the the two things the album and then that song have really been keeping me keeping me sane for the last couple of uh months for sure and then i'm not gonna lie to y'all listen i am hoping to defend in april and so I got to be honest, there are no books, <laughs> there are no books that don't, that are not, if it ain't Cresswell or some about APA right now that I'm reading, but I was at a conference, an ally conference just recently, and they had a super cool grid of books just about how to be an ally, which I know a lot of us go like, why well, I got to be allied to other people should be being allies, but we are not the only folks that need allies. And so I'm challenging people to go out there and read some stuff about how we can be allies Mm -hmm. to other under, you know what I'm saying? Other populations besides Mm -hmm. just us. And so that's my challenge. Do do a Google or two and find something with that. And I'll get back to you. If y'all bring me back, I'll come back with a good book because by the end, I'll be free. I'll be free with that doctor in front of my name and I'll be able to read again with the other folks. So, yeah. what was that book again? Because I'm trying to get that down. 
you talking about the books that I was talking about? Let's see, I'll have to give you, it was like a grid, but I'm challenging folks to look at anything that teaches us how to be allies to other underserved communities. That's really what's important. I think so often, especially right now, the conversation is, how y'all gonna support us? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, support us. But there are other, like, there are other people who who need our support, who need our support. You know what I'm saying? That there are privileges that each of us have. And we have to, number one, recognize those. And then two, make sure that we're not framing everybody else's story with that. And that the work is not just for white people. We also have to be doing our work and figuring out who we can be allies for and how. Um, yeah. yeah. Awesome. So this has, my, I'm full. Yeah, I'm full. My absolute last question. Anything. What does Black women voices mean to you? Oh, I think that, I think it means foundation. I, I think people have to come and hear other people. I, it, that's a hundred percent what Black feminist theory like. Right? It's about being able to tell the stories in our way. In, in the way that they happen through our perceptions so that other people connect. One of the things that blew my mind is when I was doing my study that whenever I asked, one of my questions was, what is your experience as a black woman in higher education? All of the women did this at the beginning before they started to talk, right? Yeah. And it's because we have shared experiences that no one sees and no one hears because we're not loud enough. But we have to stop. We we have to stop being quiet, right? I'm not saying that we have to be loud all the time, because Lord knows I can be loud all the time. But I do think that Black women's voices provides a megaphone for other people to be able to hear and identify with the things that they hear. And so, thank y'all for doing what you do. Thank you. Ah, oh, this is great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anything from the cops? Any last remarks? I think everything that needs to be said has been. <laughs> Did y'all pass the offer plate? You know how you try to give honors. They're like, the church has already been addressed. Like, yeah. Well, once again, Erin, thank you so much for having this conversation with us around the influences on career advancement, especially as it relates to Black women. We're definitely rooting for you as you continue forth in your journey towards college president, as you continue forth in finishing out your dissertation and becoming Dr. Wilson. Uh, we're definitely standing in support of that. So definitely thank you again. And to all those that are listening, be sure that you are following us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We are out there. Season three is here and we are unmasking with Black women in higher education.